Well, hi everybody, welcome to Stratosphere Lounge. I'm your host, Bill Whittle. It is uh, 31st of March, 2022. Let's see, get a little more light. Hey, how about that? I uh, hope everybody is doing well. Uh, I'm a bit tired myself, personally, but that's not unusual. Um, I've got a, a solid out. I have to get out of here by 8 o'clock tonight, so um, I'm afraid we're going to only do a two-hour show instead of a three. Uh, but anyway, it's good to see everybody here in the comment section. And then, um, yeah, normally I have a few things to talk about, but honestly, not much really. I did, um, I'm not going to get into that. Uh, anybody, somebody saying volume, got a problem? A bit low on volume? Okay, well, we can, we can deal with that. Is that more volumicious for you? Uh, no, I didn't lose some weight. I lost some weight at the Wuhan weight clinic but other than that uh, uh, that was several months ago anyway I put the volume up some more see if that maybe it's an input volume input thing hang on a second oh gosh uh, let's make sure it's the right audio yeah Oh, here we go. That might be a bit better. There we go. Um, anyway, there we go. Uh, yeah, turn everything up louder. I, I think that'll hopefully do it. Uh, so, yeah, not much really to talk about. Um, I have uh, been working, obviously, it's been three weeks now since the last moving back to America. Uh, uh, but nevertheless, um, I've been working really hard on this um, on this uh, firewall series. A lot of research to do. Um, on uh, the first one of these is called technocracy. Uh, did I? Um, I don't know if I know. Did I talk about the experience I had with this? No, I think this might have been on Monday. I don't think I talked about um, my experience with you know. You know, I'm not going to get into that either. Sorry. Uh, we'll 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 get it. We'll figure it out. Uh, so let's just do um, questions tonight. Why don't we? And uh, it's been a while since we started on the Facebook page, so we will go ahead and do that. And um, we'll see where we are. Little unfocused today even more unfocused today than usual so let's see what we got come over here okay um here's the stratosphere lounge get this desktop so much stuff here now we got so many things open so we got Refresh this baby. Yeah, I am. Uh, am I on Truth Social? I'm not. Um, I don't think I've heard of Truth Social. Is that is that Donald Trump's uh, platform? I I honestly don't know. All right, here we go. We'll start with the comment sections in uh, Facebook. Then we'll go to um, the billittle.com. 
try to get all of them tonight if we can't get started early anyway. No, I haven't been on it yet. I, I need to take a look. So here we go uh, from our Facebook page um, from Bob Knife. Do you ever go back and listen to, say, Epic Episode 100? Uh, I never go back and listen to any of them, um, Bob. In fact, I never go back and look at anything. I have... Um, when I do something I really like, it's a segment I really like, I'll watch it a bunch. Like, uh, if it's something I really, really like, I'll watch it 10, 15 times. And then I put it away, and I'll zoom in a little bit. Once I put it away, I, I never touch it again. Um, and I don't, uh, I don't really, I don't know, I don't, uh, something about it, and, and I'm, I'm not unique in this regard. I know a lot of people, once they get something, uh, you know, done and out, out the door, um, uh, I just, I've uh, got really not much to, to see with it. Now, actually, I said I had nothing to talk about before this show, um, but I do come to think of it. I just got a little bit to do with this, I guess. It's certainly enough to remind me of it. Um, uh, Jeremy Boring was in town. We had kind of a, yeah, to be honest with you, it was a farewell party for uh, that organization that may or may not have existed. I may have a picture here to show you that you guys might I like a lot anyway. Um, yeah. Got a bunch of these, but this is one of my all-time favorites. Hang on, you'll get a kick out of this. It's all awfully big. Let me scale it down some. See if we can figure out who the mystery guest here is. Isn't that great? I love that picture. Yeah, that's me and uh, Johnny Voigt. Uh, we were, um, we were, uh, I went to the very first of these meetings and, and he asked me if I wanted to go on a, uh, tour of uh, college ca college campuses with you. He's just the best guy in the world. He is the su sweetest, sweetest man. Um, we um, we uh, got together for a meeting right after I'd gotten there. We were working on some video about this upcoming Barack Obama guy who was starting to do well in the polls. And, um, and there were like four or five of us sitting around in this room going over, you know, what we might talk about. And then, uh, then John Voigt, the John Voigt, actual John Voigt said, I, I'm going to go out and get some sandwiches. What do you guys want? And I'm thinking, I don't, I can't, um, I can't ask John Voigt to go get me a sandwich. But he did. He did. He went and got us all sandwiches. And, um, and he's just a really, really good man. And he's a very, very fine actor. Uh, I recall um, one of the happiest, proudest moments of my life was sitting at a restaurant with John Voigt and Jeremy, a couple other people, I think. I got a really big laugh out of John Voigt because we were talking about somehow Wrath of Khan came up and um, and we were talking about, you know, how the reason that film is so great is because these two enormous hams just kind of balanced each other out, you know, William Shatner and Ricardo Montalban, they're just two actors that are just so huge. And I just kind of offhandedly said, um, you know, that's the thing, that's the great thing about Bill Shatner. You may pay $7 for a ticket, but you get $20 worth of acting. And for some reason, Johnny Voigt thought that was the funniest thing in the world. 
so um, yeah. Anyway, it was a it was great to see him. I hadn't seen him in, in a couple years. Anyway, um, uh, Jeremy was here. I had not heard about the razors until he showed them to me. It's just absolutely amazing that whole thing. And I've got a, a right angle on that, so I'm not going to go into that in any more detail. But I was talking with him about things, and he's been a friend for a long time, and he certainly knows what he's doing. So we're talking about, you know, what I was doing here and what I should be doing going forward and, and stuff. And he made a suggestion that I've already been um, uh, been thinking about, not only thinking about, working towards. And this goes to why we haven't seen any moving back to America and why I've been doing so much research lately. Uh, he's of the opinion uh, that I should be... Um, doing a smaller number of uh, deeper shows. And there's really much argument about that. Uh, it's been a while since I've had anything really to dig deep into. Not that there hasn't been any news or anything, but I mean, we talked about the COVID thing for two years. For the first 30 days, we did it every day live, and then it was every, I cannot remember, a, a weekend of, a week of right angles without it. That's two years, you know, uh, election and Ukraine, all these other things. It's just like, oh, my God, you know, these stories are just so, um, you know, they're just so, uh, what do I say? Um, they're so all-consuming. Uh, and so finally I got, um, I found, I, I finally found something that I could just really go into. I told you many times about that, um, that 20 hours of video I saw, uh, <laughs> Dave Big Booty says, uh, or Dave Big Booty, we're talking about George Takei and the, uh, Takei, I guess, in the comment section. And Dave said, George Takei was the worst actor on an ensemble show that featured William Shatner. I could not agree more. I remember being a little kid, and because I didn't see this, I didn't see Star Trek Live. I saw Lost in Space Live. I didn't see Star Trek Live. But when I first saw Star Trek, I was probably 10 or 11, something like that. And, um, and I remember seeing Sulu, and I couldn't figure out what it was that seemed wrong about the guy. If you look at, you look at certain episodes, especially... George Takai is wearing so much mascara. He's wearing eyeshadow, I guess is what it's called. He's, I think the volume's actually too hot. I think it's starting to clip out. Um, Sulu is wearing just so much eyeshadow. And I always thought he was, um, I, I just never liked him. And, 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 it, and Eric says he loved him as the captain of the Excelsior. I just said, there's, no, there's never going to be a Captain Sulu. I mean, the guy's good. He's like a he's like a he's like a charisma vacuum. Um, and I never I never bought him as the captain. So then doesn't he sit there with tea? Okay. Well, one thing you can never accuse George uh, Takei of is being affected. Um, in any event, uh, that's uh, that's that. So um, anyway. Uh, trying to get back to the old uh, to the old roots and, and and do a firewall series that's you know got a lot of research in it and a lot of um, a lot of uh, depth in it and I mean to do a whole series on the great reset so it'll be at least three parts I think it'll probably be five uh, I think I don't think I mentioned this last time I'm pretty sure this was Monday 
I have this lost track of time this week, something terrible. Um, did I mention uh, the uh, conversation I had with these terrific people who, who were parents of this, uh, of this, uh, it's a young man now, but he's a kid with extreme Asperger's condition. Um, the, uh, the reason I mention it is because um, we were talking about the oligarch, the tech oligarchs, the technocracy, the whole thing. And I've maintained that um, that uh, when you hear the stuff that they put out, like the selfish ledger, that Google thing I've talked about before, or this whole idea of you, you know, you won't own anything and everybody will be happy, and you know, and we're gonna we can hack the human body and we can, if we collect enough data on you, we we can not only predict what you're going to do, we're going to. Um, we're going to, we can also, you know, make you do what you want to do. There's no such thing as free will. All of these guys, the material, the materialists. I've always been quite sure that, um, that Asperger's has a lot to do with this, but I never really realized how good a fit this was until I, I spoke with these two people. They're, they're, they're very wonderful, very, very, very smart. And, and in the world of, of being taken out of context and so on, just so I have evidence should it need to arise, uh, can I just say again that this is a, uh, an, uh, an analysis of potential political consequences. So I don't have anything against Asperger's. I've probably got it in spades myself. I don't know. But I was thinking about how um, the, uh, the technocracy especially this high-tech online technocracy is, is so good at what they do and, and got so rich, so unbelievably rich and, and, and developed this whole digital um, dystopia that we find ourselves sitting into. And I'd always known that at least some of it had to do with, um, with uh, Asperger's. Um, so I'm going to tell you I'm not going to tell you what Asperger's is. I'm going to tell you what a couple of stories from these um, uh, these parents of people who of a child who had uh, extreme Asperger's. First of all, on the positive side, um, you know, they, they used, there was a time when people like this were called idiot savants. They're not idiots. They're they, they're never idiots. They, they have um, difficulty with human connections. And and here's the thing that really kind of shook me was was well, I'll, I'll tell you the stories first. Um, so they they said that when this, uh, we'll call him Adam because that is most certainly not his name. Um, when, when Adam was growing up, six, seven years old, even even later perhaps, he always, um, from from you know, the time he started eating hard food, he was, his sandwiches were cut diagonally. And he went into the kitchen one day and somebody else's, you know, a babysitter, an aunt, or something. Somebody cut his sandwich in half instead of diagonally, and he started to cry, and he didn't know what to do. Uh, he couldn't. Um, he, he just couldn't function on it, uh, and he, he just kind of went into vapor lock. And these parents were so brilliant that after they thought about what was going on, they said, "Okay, uh, Adam, here's what we're going to do from now on." <clears throat> 
Fridays are going to be different day. On Fridays, everything we do, we're going to do differently. And once he had that information, the sandwich never bothered him again. It, that kind of thing never bothered him again. And as, as that boy grew older and grew up into a good, good young man, I think, he would say to himself, anytime I see that and I feel that kind of lock, you know, that kind of, I don't know what to do, this is different than what I expected, he would just remind himself that today must be different day. And once he had the, um, once he had the, the, the rule, he, he was all right. But over the course of this conversation, I began to realize that people with, uh, with a, with a you know, fairly extreme case of this, guys like Bill Gates and, and Zuckerberg and all, all the rest of them, um, when I heard these firsthand stories from parents who'd grown up with this brilliant kid, brilliant, the th here's the thing that I noticed. They said he's not able to extrapolate things. Uh, especially human things. So they would say to him, uh, you know, he would be, because he had the, uh, a lack of emotional connection in, in, to some degree, he would, um, he'd be rude to his friends. And one time he had a friend over there named Jason, let's say, um, and he was rude to Jason and his parents said, son, you can't be rude to Jason. It's just not done. So from that point forward, he wasn't rude to Jason, but he was rude to everybody else because he couldn't, he couldn't, make that connection. He um, would always wear white t-shirts, showed up at a business meeting in a white t-shirt, and, and somebody explained that's inappropriate for a business meeting. You have to wear a button-down shirt, and from that point forward, he wore button-down shirts to business meetings, but not to, you know, church or dinner in a nice restaurant or, or, or whatever. Um, the, uh, so here's what Here's what this led me to believe. When I heard these stories, I said, th this behavior is so much like a, com a computer language. I mean, I did some programming in basic. I did enough programming to know that um, if you're writing out a series of commands and it's this command, colon, this command, colon, 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 you have 75 colons and, and number 36 is a semicolon, which is just a typo. That's where the computer gets to that point and it just stops, just locks up. That's it. This, you know, I don't know what to do. You don't know what to do? No, the computer doesn't know what to do because this is a semicolon here. And um, I don't know what to do. It can't, it can't make any of these intuitive leaps. And this particular guy who's the father of this kid I was talking about is a very big player in the computer industry in the very early days and is just an insanely brilliant guy who, for some un, un, uh, unlikely reason, has a genuine soul and has not lost a sense of wonder through all this. He, he says that, you know, these guys who are promoting AI, artificial intelligence, he says, it's not, it's not artificial intelligence. He says these computers don't understand anything. They, I said, they, they kind of triangulate on things, right? I mean, they just basically kind of select what it, what it is by what it, what is not. Um, so, he said, yeah, there's, it doesn't understand things in the way that we understand it. It doesn't have an intuitive understanding of it. And, and so these guys think that it does. So like, like the Asperger's uh, sufferers, they, they, do, they do repetitive tasks very precisely and very quickly but they do not know how to make that leap 
across these things. And by the way, just so we're clear on this, he said he said he, he was trying to get to, he, he stated what the destination was. Something, he wanted some software to do something. And this kid just went in and wrote the language, wrote, wrote a new computer language and did it, right? So, so it's, it's almost like the, um, the, the neurons that normally go into human, inner human connections got extra stuff stuffed into, the, into that magical part of the brain that you know, is able to invent these things. But the, um, this guy had spent some, some time with, uh, with Bill Gates and, um, and when he was describing him, the first word out of his mouth was cruel. I thought, that's an interesting word. He would just, you know, people would come to him with ideas and he would just take two minutes to make them cry, you know, just bash them. And, uh, and I don't want cruel people who, um, who don't really connect to humans in the way that we, most of us think of it. I don't want people like that running our lives. Uh, by the way, I don't know if you knew this, uh, but it looks like I've heard it twice now. I need to, it's one of the many things that I'm trying to source. Uh, uh, but the number one holder of agricultural land in America is Bill Gates. He's America's farmer, Farmer Bill. Um, so, you know, all of this stuff is, is a bit alarming. Um, and when I, when I got a good working understanding of how they how their minds work, I realized this is why they're so successful. Yes, I saw it, Eric, thank you. Um, the, uh, um, that, that they think like computers. That, that's really what they do. They think like computers and, and they, they, they need specific instructions. And if something comes out of the parameters of the specific instructions, then they, then they stop. But when you give it a set of instructions, like, okay, today's the day when illogical things don't make sense. So if, you, if something returns illogical or different, then now you know the logical reason for this. I, I don't know, it just made a lot of sense. And, um, and this guy also, as I say, brilliant computer guy. You know, these guys, these oligarchs, these technocrats openly say, uh, and, I'm, and, I'm, and I've got video for it. They openly say there's no such thing as free will um, uh, there's no, uh, there's no soul, no such, they're very, they're very materialist. And so they tend to, they tend to reduce things. And when they say that, when they say that humans are 100% predictable and that, um, and that, uh, that there's no such thing as free will, that's because everything they measure humans by is stuff that's online. And I realized that they only see the frame, right? You're, they can, this is only, all they can see is the frame. And as far as they're concerned, anything outside of the frame doesn't exist. And, if, and they don't want it to exist, which is why they want us all locked up and staying in the house so that we could, you know, just our human connections would be through the internet and so on. And what I realized was that, the, that com for these people, for these kind of people, a computer terminal is, is it's, it's, at the very least, it's a translator between themselves and regular humans. And the way it works as a translator between themselves and regular humans is by enormously simplifying humans 
to a level where they can understand them. This guy, again, he's just so brilliant, said, look, no matter what, no matter what you really think about the complexity of the internet and all the rest of it, he said, when you get right down to it, all you can do on the internet is you can click, you can scroll, and you can type. I thought, yeah, that's pretty much it. And so when these people say we can predict your behavior, that means we can predict your behavior within this frame here. We can predict to some degree, probably to a large degree, how you're going to click and what you might type. Mostly, almost exclusively, what you're going to click. But that's not, that's not humanity, but they think it is. So when they say they can predict people and when, they, and when they think that they can get everything ordered according to their plans, they can only order what's inside the frame. They have no idea what's outside the frame. They don't even know that there is an outside of the frame. Um, so all of this stuff is really important uh, because it all goes to, um, you know, to this, this giant conflict. It's a, it's, we look around and we think, my God, we're in the middle of a socialist revolution. That's about half right. First of all, it's not a revolution. It's a counter-revolution. The real revolution was in 1776. Aristocracy was banished from North America, at least from the United States anyway. For 250 years, that's a long time for these uh, control freaks to be out of control, you know, not controlling things. So it's a counter-revolution against the entire idea of democracy and capitalism, against the idea that regular people... Uh, should be able to live their own lives. And I've been spending an awful lot of time on, awful lot of time on finding more examples of, of, um, of the wisdom of crowds. We talked about the ox and we talked about the USS Scorpion. And, uh, when a group is, you know, 60 students or something asked to predict the number of jelly beans in a jar. The group average answer is always the best answer. One time they ran this experiment and one guy got a little bit closer than the group, but it was just basically luck. They, the, 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 a, a group that meets the, that meets the criteria, it's gotta be diverse group. And when I say diverse group, it's gotta be intellectually diverse, which is why woke people are so stupid because they're so intellectually um, homogenized uh, they don't have any difference of opinion, and so there is no group wisdom. But when you have these things in place, it's astonishing. It's astonishing how much better um, these betting pools are at predicting political outcomes than the very best of the experts who are pollsters. They do this for a living, right? These are guys that done nothing but study statistics and statistical models, and they all put out their polls, and there's, I don't know how many of them, 30 now or something like that. And, and pretty much universally, the betting pools are much closer to being accurate than they are. Even forget about the idea that they might be shading them on purpose. They're just more accurate. So while somebody like Bill Gates may in fact be the smartest guy in the room, he's not smarter than everybody in the room. And, and, it's, a, and it's a you know, pretty big room. And this is the part that they can't handle. Um, they can't. They can't accept this. They they they're they're smart enough to know it's that information is there, but they're too stupid to to listen to it because of their ego, 
because of their because the idea that that giant crowd of the great unwashed out there, those regular people who you know, who don't know how to program computers and 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 who are just you know a bunch of you know their their job is to clean the streets and grow the food, right? Uh, the idea that all of them together would be smarter than they are is anathema to them. They can't handle it. And I know where this is coming from. I used to be that way to some degree myself. They just, they're just so into this intelligence. No one's making artificial wisdom uh, programs, I noticed. Um, but uh, th I, I've been convinced for a while now that they're going to fail. I've become more convinced they're going to fail every day. And they're going to fail because not only are they not planning for how much more complex people are than what they think they are, they cannot connect to it. I think they know it's out there. I think they know on some level that, that regular people have something that they don't know, something that they know is there but that they can't understand. And I think they fear it, frankly, this human connection. I think they fear it. I don't think there's any altruism uh, in them in the way we understand the terms. It's very, 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 very difficult for me to imagine anything that Bill Gates or, or um, Jeff Zuckerberg would be willing to die for. And that's that's a expression, uh, that's a sentiment that's common among regular people. There are things that, you know, you would die for. You'd die for your kids, you'd die for your country, you'd die for, for whatever, but there are things more important than you. That's a tremendous power, and they don't, um, and they don't have it. And... Um, and all of this stuff is, is reassuring in the long term, although in the short term, uh, I think they're going to continue to do a, a great deal of damage. Um, that's just the way it is. And I'm looking more and more at world politics and history. Um, uh, and, I'm, and I'm actually not just seeing these, these, like, these tech giants. I'm actually looking at all of history now in a different view. I really think that people like Hitler and Stalin and Mao they don't give a damn about um, anybody other than themselves. They just and and, and you know, it goes to it goes for people like Churchill as well. Um, you know, they're people, and I'm a great man. So we'll see. Um, the thing I like the most about the wisdom of crowds is that. No one is right, but all of us are right, and astonishingly right. It's just, if that weren't the case, I'd still feel the same way, but, but at least then they would have, um, uh, they'd have a case, you know? Life would be better for you, but they're not. It's not. It's not better for people. Um, so anyway, uh, Bob, so I don't go back and listen to old episodes, uh, and... Um, and I will rarely go back and look at uh, at old firewalls or afterburners. Marisha says, "Wisdom of crowds versus the madness of crowds." The guy who wrote the uh, was it Charles McKay wrote uh, it's a great book. Um, uh, was it uh, Popular Delusions and the Madness of Crowds, something like that? He had nothing but contempt for crowds. He thought that people were idiots. It turns out that. While there are idiots in a crowd, the crowd itself is smarter than the smartest people. A well-diversified crowd returns better results than a, than a small group of, of experts, consistently and by a large margin.
one of the examples in this book that was so kind of you know puerile, but still, they took a look at um, somebody did a statistical analysis of uh, who wants to be a millionaire. And on the lifelines on who wants to be a millionaire, one of them is you get to call the smartest person you know, and the other one is you get to poll the audience. And I think the numbers were something like smartest person you know was right 61% of the time, audience was right 94, 95, 96% of the time. Um, so um, anyway, they don't know what they're doing. So anyway, here we go. Uh, Dave Olson, hey, look at that, there's Dave. Uh, hi, Bill. Welcome back to Thursday. Good to be here. We'd be coming to the EAA show in Oshkosh this year. It's the last week in July and hotels are only filling up. If you do go, what are the chances of a live TSL with the studio audience? Uh, I uh, Anything past middle of April is singularity for me, Dave. I'm not saying I can't be there. I'm just saying I don't know what's, what's going to be happening after that point. Uh, it, it doesn't seem likely, to be perfectly honest with you. Uh, although God knows I would like to go. Um, I don't, I not only don't have plans to be there, I, I think something rather extraordinary would have to happen for me to be there, but I do miss it very much. Um, kind of been fascinated lately with the idea of a light helicopter. I just think those things are really, really cool. Uh, so, um, so there you go. Uh, sorry about the short answer, but let's just get on to other questions. I don't I don't expect I will be there now. Sorry. Uh, Eric Blake, uh, peace and long life, citizen Whittling. And to you, too, image of Eric Blake. Uh, as you may have noticed, one of my favorite videos you've made in recent times, one I keep going back to over and over, is Guiding the Wheel. What was that about? Um, now, an insightful person in the comments section of that video pointed out how, if you will, great minds think alike. Your theme about guiding the wheel of history is precisely the same theme as Isaac Asimov's foundation theory. Dr. Harry Selden, son of a farmer, by the way, warns the Galactic Empire that bad times are coming and then sets up two foundations where the members are given the guidance to speed up the wheels so the bad times and, re and relatively quickly and the good times can come back. Yes, the first and second foundation. Funny how that works, isn't it, don't you think? Uh, P.S. Speaking of sci-fi greats, Dune Part 2 starts filming later this year. Good. The green light got officially announced pretty much the moment part one got released in theater. Oh, ye of little faith. I wonder how much older um, uh, Paul Atreides is going to be. That'd be, what, three years between appearances by the time they're actually rolling film on him? Something like two, three years? He's still in the growing stage. Um, I don't know. I, I would personally feel very, very, very naked about a two-part movie that didn't have the second part shot when the first part was released. I mean, that's why Lord of the Rings was consistent, right? They basically just went out and shot one movie and then they started editing the first one. They're still shooting the second and third ones. Um, um, C.P. Tome says the break in the books in Dune was about four years, if I recall correctly. Yes, but I don't think it was four years between when he had the fight uh, out in the desert and beat the first of the Freeman versus when he arrived at their cave. Maybe it was, but I don't believe that was the case. Is that right? Does that happen next? He just disappears and becomes an... Uh, it seemed like the break was different. Okay, look, I'm happy to see it. Uh, I, I really liked it. Although, strangely enough, I don't think it had 
a lot of soul. It was very, very pretty visually, and it certainly wasn't a kick in the teeth. But there was something um, different. Um, there was something, I don't know. Uh, I really liked, um, really liked uh, Bernie Halleck and Duncan Idaho in the new movies. I thought they were both great. And I really liked the Sardaukar very, very much. That business about them all in these ranks and it's like practically raining and these bodies that have been crucified upside down and then the, you know, the blood and, 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 and the that was really great. Of all the things in, um, of all the things in Dune, the thing that I liked the most, surprisingly enough, probably related to the fact that it was always the thing I liked the least in the books was the, um, was the ornithopters. Because I always thought, no, come on. But when they started showing those wings that looked an awful lot like airplane rotors, and, and, and then they started moving, it had a very, well, it looked like helicopter rotors that were just going up and down, and dragonflies managed to fly the way. I just thought they were very, very, very cool. And the scale um, was tremendous, just the, the scale of, of these ships and stuff. It was just great. But I, I really, I, I liked it quite a lot. Um, I just didn't see it again. I didn't see it twice, and I had no desire to. I just, okay, I can't wait to see the, well, I can obviously wait to see the follow-up, but I just, I don't know. There's some movies I come out of, and I just want to go see them again right away. I just want to sit through the movie again right away. I walked out of Dune and thought, that was, yeah, that was entertaining uh, and uh, not offensive. And I would like, if there had been another part to it, I would have sat through it cheerfully another hour and a half, two hours, no problem. But uh, Marusha says she, conversely, she often rewatches the 80s version. I, the 80s version is, I don't know how to explain this. I don't think it's as nearly as good, but it's a lot more rewatchable. So I guess on some level, important level, it's better. I guess just maybe the 80s version had a profound effect on everybody who watched it. I just, I don't know. I don't, um, Dune is, uh, I think, certainly, arguably, the greatest science fiction novel ever written, but it's, I never read any of the other, I'm, I might have read the second one, but I mean, how many did they, did he write, Herbert, like five or something? Uh, I just never had any interest in it, honestly, I've just, um, yeah. It, it was a it was a great uh, idea. Oh, Dune did pretty well at Sunday's Oscars, says uh, E.M. Uh, Man. That's good to know. Was it was it a knockout, uh, or did they get slapped around a little bit? See what I did there. Uh, I I don't want to say poor Chris Rock, but I I and and not because of the hit. Uh, I just think he's got to be walking around with a, a lot of humiliation. I don't mean humiliation like like he was beaten up. I think humiliation like I just got I just got my butt slapped on on TV, you know, in front of everybody, and and I didn't hit him back, and and that's another reason why um, I just found the whole thing to be so appalling. Chris Rock is standing there with his hands in his pockets smiling. 
Will Smith's walking up to him, you know, with a purpose. And Chris Rock's got his hands in his pockets smiling. And, you know, they were in movies together. And, and I'm sure he was just thinking that this guy was going to make some kind of witty remark and just, just sucker punched him, you know. Um, and, and so now he's got to walk around as the guy who, who got slapped. Uh, I kind of agree on that one, Helios. Uh, but, you know, that's, that's why we have the show. It's fun to disagree. You can learn a lot from disagreeing. Um, I don't. Uh, everybody got reminded of Tiki Rocket as how bad uh, Jada is. Yeah, I'm not a fan of, of Jada. And I actually think that, that that Bill Whittle guy made a great point on that, on that right angle. Um, and that is that, uh, you know, somebody makes fun of your wife in a bar or something, you know, go up and ask him for an apology, you get out of hands from there. But even then, it's a kind of a step outside thing. But, but she's a, she's a public figure. I mean, they're sitting in the front row of the Academy Awards. This is not his shy wife who never is seen, you know, out in public because she's got this terrible stutter like John Glenn's wife. She's, she's, uh, um, She's a public figure and she's politically active and somebody makes a joke about her and and she, and, 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 and you know, I don't have to go through this whole thing. Everybody's talked about it a million times. But when he makes the joke, you can see Will Smith laughing and then she rolls her eyes and you cut back to Chris Rock for about five seconds. And somewhere in that five seconds, something got Will Smith up out of his chair and, and walking over there. Um, and uh, no, it is not faked. That was not faked. Uh, it absolutely was not faked under any, I thought the, the slap might have been faked, but when I heard him shouting, uh, I said, no way that's faked. It's, it's, um, it's no. And, and not only that, it's been catastrophic for both of their careers. Catastrophic. Uh, especially, well, well, uh, Chris Rock selling more tickets, but I saw a picture of Chris Rock walking in a building. He didn't look good. And, and Will Smith is, is ruined, you know? I mean, Will Smith's reputation is he's kind of a good guy. He's just, there's, there's, there's no way that this is, uh, is, that this is fake. There's no way. And, um, and if the Academy Award is trying to gin up publicity, uh, I guarantee you they would have found some way of doing it that would be more uh, politically correct than, than slapping people. Um, I think, um, I don't know, a lot of people speculated about the open marriage thing and, and uh, in any event, it was to me uh, like watching the, you know, the red flag with the white star on it, just going down on the flagpole at the very tail end of the Titanic. I really think um, that, uh, I really think that that this is kind of a milestone on the end of Hollywood, and and I and I'm I couldn't be happier about it. This whole class of people was handed, uh, you know, everything: prestige, uh, glory, glamour, a lot of money, attention, and and then they all just, you know. A critical drinker, I think, was right. He said that the thing that killed um, the movie star was. Uh, social media because these people had always been protected from the press by their agents not not protected from I'm sorry protected 
from the people. Not that the people were a threat to them, it's just they always had an agent that, um, that stopped them from saying stupid stuff. And now with social media, they all think that, you know, well, I'm, I'm, I've got something very important to say. I'm not just a person who pretends and makes faces and takes baths in milk. I've got a message. Okay, well, you're not very smart and you're not, and you're very poorly educated. And, um, and, and now all the mystery is gone. But, but them, but them uh, watching celebrities try to be regular people during the, especially the early days of the COVID thing and, you know, Madonna and her, unrecognizable, by the way, um, in her milk bath, like all of us in our $12 million mansions, you know, it's tough to have to get locked indoors with it and have to take another milk bath again, you know, instead of the champagne bath that you normally get on Tuesday nights. It's just, it was embarrassing. The whole thing was embarrassing. Um, and and I, I think it, and by the way, many people are saying it's the only interesting thing that's happened in Oscars in the last 20 years. Yes, but what does that tell you? That this outbreak of, of the very minimum gross incivility, where's the win here, you know? Was the does the academy come out of this looking good? No, they just look like yeah, you can slap anybody you want to. If you can, if you can, if you can slap a comedian for making a joke that you find offensive, is that really uh, the the future that we want? Oh, Loyalis AOC for the win. I am Miguelito Loveless, Mr. West. He was so good. He was so good. He was so good in that. He was so good in that. Michael Dunn. It was just so good. I love that show. I don't know why that show is getting more attention than it did. Um, Marusha Dark says, why wasn't he thrown out if it was real? Well, Marusha, because he was about to win the Academy Award for Best Oscar. That's why. And he wasn't pr punished after the fact either. They're not going to throw Will Smith out of the ceremonies. No. They're not going to throw him out. Um, and and so, you know, there's your... And not only did they not throw him out, they didn't take any action against him either. I personally think, at the minimum, he should lose that Oscar. He should be, um, he should be, you know, no, you don't get to, you don't get to hit people. Um, it is not fake. I'm telling you, there's no way it is. I, 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 I agree that the slap looked a little contrived or weird, but that, that him yelling, you know, keep my wife's name out of your effing mouth. That was real. That was real. That's not that's not funny. That's not publicity stunt funny. That's that's really real. And I looked at this. I said, "Oh, so that's real. That's Will Smith." Um. Anyway, yeah. Eric Blake points out they gave these are the same people that gave Roman Polanski a standing ovation when they gave him an Oscar. You'd think that, you know, he raped a fourteen-year-old girl. You think uh, you think they're going to throw a guy out for this? No. Uh. Uh. Um, so, uh, no, there's no way that was fake. There's no, there's no win for anybody. Uh, moving on. Eric Blake, again, hey, Eric, hail Vectron, Bill, hail Vectron, Eric. My Vectron's golden claw. We have fondness for Harry and Paul. Here's a sketch that they're somehow very apropos these days, isn't it? Let's see more. I assure you it's well worth showing the lounge viewers on screen. It is Harry and Paul, of course. Uh, yes, sure. 
Harry and Paul, is the government right about everything? It's, it looks like one of these 40s things. Um, have a look. You're going outside Facebook. Are you sure you want to do that? There's a go back option. You should probably go back. Uh, I'll just, is it, is it Harry and, is Paul, is it Paul? Yes, it is. All right. Uh, I don't really recall this one. So um, nevertheless, I have such confidence in Harry and Paul. So why not? Let's just do it. Um, Come on, come on, come on, come on, come on. Oh, to hell with you. And let's try that again. Paste. Start. 360p, well, we'll have to live with it. Start. Start. I'm just doing this mostly because I think this guy, these guys are the best. I just love them. I love them, love them, love them. I had to hit seven, I had to click seven times to get this thing to go. But here it is. All right, uh, so what I'm going to do is uh, I am going to, um, I am going to uh, go to the Stratosphere Lounge screen because that mutes the local sound. And uh, then we will watch this beauty together, and then I'll come back right afterwards here. So let's see what we got. Is the government right about everything? Good evening. I'm General Manley Paxman. Is the government right about everything? I'm joined by the government minister. Good evening, government minister. Good evening, General Manley. Is the government right about everything? Yes. Are you sure? Are you doubting me? Not for a moment, and I do apologize if I appear to be. Please continue to speak for as long as you like without any interruption whatsoever. The government is right about everything because it is a good government, composed of extremely intelligent, high-minded, and deeply moral ministers. Thank you, minister. You're the most interesting man I've ever met. Time to look at tomorrow's papers. The Times leads with the government's right about everything. The Telegraph goes for the government is right about everything. And this rag leads with some complete poppycock. Yeah, that's, um... It's not their best work, but it's it's uh, it's pretty good. Um, I just I love I love them. I love them. I love them. I just want to I just want to hang with them. I really do. Uh, we talked about the um, for a while there that we were on this. Uh, well, I'm not going over. I'm just going to rehash that old ground if I can help it. Uh, all right, moving on here. Jason Rasmussen. Um, will modern Disney die? I applaud the $100 million investment in kids program by Daily Wire. But that's a rounding error compared to uh, Disney's skin suit money. 
yeah, for those of you who might have been um, asleep here recently, uh, see, some th there are no journalists anymore, but there are still people, individual people, who have the journalism uh, gene. And I don't mean the, the, the news media mean, I mean the journalism mean, the, 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 the desire to uncover uh, important things that, that people have a right to know about, things that are being kept secret by people who you are paying. And so um, uh, a whistleblower showed some um, like internal uh, like Zoom videos and stuff about a Disney um, basically openly talking with other people and other producers about how they're trying to get as much gay into their content as they possibly can. And once the, I mean, everybody knew it, but once the evidence was there, yeah, you know, I've got uh, two, uh, two of my boys or uh, two of my children are transsexual and the other one is pansexual. I'm thinking, you know, given how rare uh, this phenomenon is, that's quite unusual for one parent to have two transsexual and one pansexual kids, three out of three. Uh, you know, maybe it's you. Has that thought occurred to you? Maybe it's you. Um, look, Disney is, it, it's a shame because, because Disney has become the most corrupt of these entertainment um, uh, super giants. And, and Walt was an all-American genius. Um, I saw Glenn Beck speaking live and he talked about many collections of the things he's got. He's got Walt Disney's original prospectus for the first Disneyland. And he basically says this, this is a place to, 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 um, for families to go and have fun and to, and to learn about and appreciate American um, values. I mean, it's right there. This is what we want to do. We want to promote American values. We're going to have frontier land with cowboys and stuff and all, all of this. And, um, yeah, and, and TAPS 556 says Force Awakens should have told you. Yeah, Disney, what Disney did with Star Wars is they're the wokest of the woke. And they keep buying stuff. Uh, G.K. Masterson says it's like we're all getting massive doses, super doses of estrogen. And, and G.K. Masterson would know that because uh, she's, of course, a woman. Um, so, yeah. You know, one, it's, just, it's just evidence, it's just more evidence for what we already know. But nevertheless, seeing it is still enough to make you kind of like, oh. Now, uh, I didn't, I knew there was a big announcement from Daily Wire. I didn't know what it was until I saw it in the comments section. Apparently, they're going to commit to $100 million of, of screening for of, uh, uh, children's content. Okay. Um, I, I mean, obviously... Somebody said, "Well, that's a drop in the bucket compared to, um, to compared to what Disney spends." That is true, obviously, but I think I guess what I'm trying to say is, it's that's easier said than done. So much of what, so much of Disney's power, cultural power, lies in the IPs, the intellectual property that they own. They, they own so many powerful IPs that um, it's very, very difficult to start something up from scratch. Although God knows I've pitched it and tried it. Um, so 
I wish him the best of luck, obviously, but that is a, that's a full-time job. But however, it does say an awful lot about Daily Wire to say that they're going to dedicate $100 million of that uh, into that. That's a, that's, uh, that's amazing. It really is. What, what they've accomplished is amazing. I did a, I did a uh, right angle this week uh, on, on Jeremy's razors, and I'm just real proud of that boy. Uh, here's an extra question. It's about to go to the uh, comments at billable.com. I just refreshed the Facebook page. Sergio Stevens, do you have any plans for any more What We Saw series? They were my favorite thing I've seen or heard on the Daily Wire Holocaust, What They Saw, maybe. Uh, yes, uh, Sergio, they want me, they want me to do that. Hey, Phil. Um, any news about Natasha's citizenship? Hold that thought. Um, they, they, they want another America's Forgotten Heroes, and I, and I pitched to them something about conspiracy theories, and I told Jeremy when he was here over the weekend, I said, I just don't want to do that. I know I talked about it, I just don't want to do it. And the reason I don't want to do it is because, to be perfectly, perfectly honest with you, it seems like just about everybody I know believes in one of these things, and I, don't, I just don't need to go there. You know, I've had enough getting shot in the back. Uh, I'm... I'm I'm I just, no, not going to do it. I am, however, um, going to be talking an awful lot about uh, the things that I would have said were conspiracy theories a year ago. And uh, now, I believe, or evidence just mounts on a daily basis. In fact, not only is it mounting, all the people who told me I was crazy in the news media told all of us we were crazy a year ago. They're all kind of, you know, you know, I guess it might be true. Um, uh, so there's that. Uh, no, actually, there's no word on, on Natasha's citizenship thing. She, she passed the N-400 test, uh, sailed through it. That was a while ago now. And, um, and they needed a couple of, of extra documents. Otherwise, she would have walked out with a certificate. That was a hard thing to, to deal with. I was just really angry about it. The what? So we got them the, um, we, no, we did not watch the video. We got, the, we got them the, uh, the extra documents. And they wrote us back fairly quickly saying, oh, okay, thanks. That's all we needed. We're going to recommend that, uh, that, that um, her application be approved, which is an approval. Uh, they said it's going to quality review because that's what automatically happens in cases like this, I guess. But they're not going to tell you that we've recommended approval and then have it not be approved. So we are now just waiting for a letter saying when her um, citizenship ceremony will be. And we're watching that mailbox every day. Uh, we're waiting for um, that letter to arrive. And then, um, and then uh, you know, we'll go and do that. Now, since we've already um, foregone any chance of monetizing this particular show, although that's not a huge sacrifice, to be honest with you, in terms of people watch this, uh, I will show you one other thing, I think, if I can find it quickly. Um, uh, yep. Uh, all right. Uh, you can either stand for this or remain seated as you, uh, as you choose. Is this, can this be right? Doesn't seem like it should be that long. Yeah. All right. Um, this will be a treat for all of you. 
one of the people I saw a couple days ago at this kind of, you know, sort of kind of farewell meeting uh, was, um, was a guy I know named uh, Steve Amerson. Steve Amerson is a singer. And uh, for most of the events that may or may not have happened during those uh, glorious 18 years, is that right? Yeah, nine years. Uh, once, once we got introduced to Steve, he sang virtually all of the um, events. Did the national anthem for, for virtually all of them, uh, and I'm going to play it for you. And the reason I bring this up is because I ran into Steve, and I told him that Natasha was uh, just waiting for her notice for um, the citizenship thing, and uh, and Steve said, "Well, let me know when you're going to do it." And I'll come there and sing the national anthem. I said, all right. And if it turns out that for whatever reason immigration has a problem, that we will have a private party, and you can sing it there. Uh, I just want to play this just because it's just because it's important. Uh, I talked to Steve uh, at at this event, and um, and he needless to say agrees with i think what every real patriot feels and that is that uh, is that the, the the national anthem is not a torch song that's the way i put it anyway and um and so uh i mean this sincerely i think that this is how the, the song should be in fact i think this i so strongly think this is the that, that's that this song should be sung precisely this way that uh that I think there should be a federal law saying of, you know, we should only, that this is the national anthem, Star Spangled Banner, and this is how it is presented, sung by Steve Emerson. Uh, all right, we'll do the same thing we did last time. We'll go to the silent screen, uh, stand or sit as you choose, no one's watching you. But nevertheless, uh, this is, um, I, just, I just think this is amazing. Is the government right about everything?
That's my boy, Steve Emerson. That's my boy. Um, I'll see if I can uh, get that, uh, put a link up to it when I when I post it. Um, and and this is coming over YouTube. When when you when you are in person, it just it just just chills. It just chills. He just that last note especially, you know, is just unbelievable. Um, uh, I will put the link in uh, Facebook, but people in the comment section uh, want to see it now, so I will put it here now as well. I see. Yeah, and and the thing about it is, um, is that, and, and I said when I when I, I was so happy to see him at this event. I haven't seen him in a long time. Just put it up in the chat link, and I'll put it up uh, on the post. Um, he said, not me. He said, you got to get through this thing. You know, you got to get through it. People know the song, and they're they're not interested in listening to your stylings of it. They want it, and 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 you got to move the mail. And I thought, yes, sir, you do. You do move the mail, Steve. You mad genius, you. I just, I love it. I love it. Love it. Love it. That'd be an an event. Now I can see all kinds of uh, you know, administrative problems. Oh, we can't allow this. COVID and stuff. But I'll tell you what, if uh, if it turns out they won't do it in, inside, I'll just have her say, come on outside, you're in for a real treat, because that's what American citizens need to hear right right off the bat. Um, so anyway, uh, that's a story on uh, on Natasha's uh, status there, gang. But wow, he um, I got to hear him sing it in person uh, on Sunday night and still with me. So he was uh, he was something else. All right, uh, let me just go back to Facebook and check and see. I think we got them all. And if not, uh, we will. But then we will go to the BillWiddle.com thing. Oh, missed one. Dave Olson. Uh, so Blue Origin launched another half dozen people to just a fraction over the Carmen line today. Yawn. Which do you think will happen first? NASA puts another person into space or Blue Origin puts its first gram of anything into by God Earth orbit? I had um, I've been disappointed in Blue Origin's uh, uh, operational tempo for a very very long time, but I was rooting for Blue Origin up until about uh, I don't know what was it a year ago maybe less maybe a little less when I found out that Jeff Bezos was suing SpaceX because SpaceX got. Uh, the the contract from NASA for the lunar lander and and since Blue Origin didn't get it he's going to sue them and slow the process down by a year or two or three I, I just I, I had a hard time crediting it was true and when I realized it was true I really my first thought was Jeff I hope you take the blue the the, the new Shepard up for a test ride just you and I hope that bloody rocket just blows up honestly you don't deserve to be in this game to, this is a guy who's um, who's had more money than anybody in the world for a long, long time, and um, and Elon is is out there. Whatever you think of him personally, you can't. I, I don't know how you could move SpaceX any faster. We would have had a, a Starship would have flown already, except the FAA is uh, dragging their feet. And I'm sure the FAA is dragging their feet because of influence from guys like Jeff Bezos. When, when I turned out that he sued them, I just thought, oh, okay, so that's how we're going to do it. Is it we're going to sue our way to the moon? 
you know, honestly, Jeff, get off, get off the train. Honestly, nobody cares. Nobody's interested. You had plenty of opportunity. You've had this, this suborbital rocket for what, 10 years now? Is it 10 that they've been doing test flights? It's not 10 years, you know, to, to do uh, faster than light travel. It's 10 years to do a suborbital flight. They, they basically took a, a Redstone rocket, which is essentially a V2, honestly, interior-wise, just a V2 with, with bigger fuel tanks. It stuck a capsule on it, and off we go. And, um, and that was 61. I should get that right, given my sterling reputation. I want to say 61. Um, yeah, Blue Origin is older than SpaceX, is uh, Helios uh, 1776. So today was their 20th flight. Okay. Um, no, to hell with you, Jeff. Seriously, to hell with you. And this whole thing that happened, um, I don't know when it was now, six months ago, maybe something like that, with, uh, uh, Sp uh, with, with Blue Origin deciding to fly because Branson announces that he's going to fly, and that, that aircraft wasn't ready, the spacecraft wasn't ready to fly either. Their operational tempo is garbage at, at Virgin Galactic. You know, I had high hopes for these, for these guys, but they're, they're, you know, they're, they're punks. They're just punks. How do you, what else do you call them? You know, Bert Rutan handed, um, handed them the, the, essentially a, the, the basic design for Spaceship Two. He certainly d d handed them Spaceship One and everything else, you know, the carrier, all of that stuff. That was 2004, I want to say. Is that right? Could it have been that long ago? I want to say it was 2004. Yeah, they should have been, they should have been flying by 2007 or eight just pathetic it's just sad 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 yes there it is best best comment of the night plume i'm sorry plume martian not serious people yeah they're not serious people and jeff bezos business is amazon elon musk business is spacex and um and yeah i agree with this too uh it's so hard for me with the some of these letters are fainter than those jwtd kuda says elon and spacex wins just for the Mars Clause in the Starlink Terms of Service. For, for those of you that have not um, heard about this, uh, when you sign up for that Starlink service, that high-speed internet, these very small, low Earth, very low microsatellites, somewhere in the terms of agreement, uh, the end user agreement, you agree that something to the effect of that Earth laws won't have any uh, jurisdiction in Mars, you know? Okay, that's, I like the way you think there, dude. Yeah, somebody said the first flight of, uh, of uh, New Shepard was 2015. So, what? We are talking earlier about the technocracy and these um, Asperger guys and stuff and their lack of humanity, you know, fundamental human connections. Zuckerberg is the poster child for this, but the, whatever that guy's name was, who was the uh, head of Twitter before he resigned, Jack or whatever, all of them, right? But but Musk is is different, and the reason I say Musk is different is because because time and time and time again, Musk does something that is so fundamentally human, like really human. Name in the recovery barge, of course I still love you. That's not something that you're going to get from from yeah Dorsey. Thank you. That's not something you're going to get from Bill Gates, you know, uh, and and. And putting a, a Tesla in orbit, well, not even in, or, in, in solar orbit, right? Give it escape velocity. It's astonishing. And, um, and, 
and to play David Bowie and to have the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, that's a guy who, who gets it all. And that's what makes him so, um, you know, priceless. And Marisha said it's the visionary versus the manager. Yeah, I've never particularly liked Jeff Bezos, but when I found out he was suing to stop the process of going back to the moon because he'd lost the contract to a, to a company that has beaten the daylights out of him, you know, we're ha it's hard enough, man. I've had to I've had to watch this. I've watched my whole life just sort of bleed away, waiting for something to happen up there. And along comes Elon Musk finally, and then and then I get to have Jeff Bezos sue him to slow him down. We've been slowed down enough, thanks, Jeff. You know, talk to your Chinese friend. Maybe they'll fly your your Blue Origin pretend toy rocket for you. Man, that made me angry. That made me angry. All right, let's see what we got here. Uh, did I ever watch Musk versus Zuckerberg on epic battles of history? I, I kind of think I did, but unless it's very new, um, I have, and that, you know, it's funny how things kind of come and go. And for a while there, uh, that was, at least to me, was the coolest thing on the internet. Right, let's see. Uh, member four. Funny thing happened on the way to the member four. That reminded me of a story. There is a musical, a musical comedy called uh, A Funny Thing Happened on the Way to the Forum. I think it was, sounds like a virtually positive. It was in the 60s. It was certainly back there somewhere. And it's got its moments. I want to say either Mel Brooks had something to do. I forget who who, uh, who wrote it. But Zero Mostel, I think, played the lead in it on Broadway forever. Anyway, Funny Thing Happened on the Way to the Forum. It's not exactly the, the greatest piece of art that's ever been created in Western civilization, but nevertheless, it had its moments. It's funny how little things um, just stay with you, you know, little moments in time that don't seem that important. And then you utterly forget them for 40 years. And then all of a sudden they come back to you like this one just did. I saw a member forum. I thought funny thing happened on the way to the forum. I thought, oh, I remember. So there is uh, a character in, in funny thing happened on the way to the forum named um, Miles Gloriosus. He's the, he's the Roman general. And he sings this tremendously epic song. I, Milus Gloriosus, I, champion of many, something like that. And it's nothing but just him singing his own praises. And, um, and it's, it's a funny song. And we got a guy to do that when I was a theater major. And I think it was the summer because there wasn't a lot of people there. Summer, I want to say summer, summer semester. And... I was at a rehearsal for Funny Thing Happened on the way to the forum, and this guy, a big guy, playing Miles Gloriosus, and he's doing a great job. And the blocking was that uh, these two Roman soldiers, one would pick him up by one leg and the other one would pick him up by the other, and they just kind of lift him up in the air like this, you know, so he'd be, you know, another two, three feet higher. And he started singing the song, and then uh, the two guys that were holding him up started to uh, lose their balance, and all three of them started to go over backwards. 
slowly at first and then very quickly. And he just leaned and he leaned, and, and you can see these guys struggling, struggling, struggling to keep the balance. Finally, the three of them collapse it. And he didn't drop a note, a note. He's, he's singing the song. He's going over backwards like this. He's just singing it, singing it, singing it, singing it. Crash, they go. He's lying on his back on the ground looking at the sky, kept singing the song. Uh, yeah, man, that's, that, was a, that was a fun moment. We all, we all dug that a lot. Hmm. Uh, all right, here we go. Uh, Henry Lumley. Hey, Bill, I think you need to redesign the Oathbreaker's character model. I showed that last week. Keep the armor that you have, but then when the character comes out of the darkness towards our Valiant Heroes, pan the camera around so that you can see the character from behind and show that the armor suit is open at the back and has been eaten out from behind. So the armor looks great from the front, but as a colony of maggots wearing a skin suit inside the armor, it's actually a very good idea. Probably well beyond my current capabilities but nevertheless is a very good idea for a second there i thought you were going to go with hollow armor and that's a damn good idea too i might point out um i think that grotesque display would accurately show the horror of hollowing out our institutions and those who were supposed to be on the vanguard becoming infested and being taken over by our cultural cancer for a reference of something along the lines of what you were thinking i included this link and set it to a particular scene with something similar to what i was thinking uh if you watch about a minute and a half of the video, then I think you'll see what I was thinking about. I will not run this one, but I will take a look at it. Uh, and thank you for that, Henry. It's a good idea. Uh, one thing I can do uh, easily is the hollow thing. And the way I do that would be to take the um, the parts of the stuff that's, that's skin and, and, you know, around the neck and the wrist, whatever. And then I can assign that, not just a clear material, a, a null material. It's no reflection, no nothing. It's just utterly transparent and that's a very very good idea the, the maggots and stuff would be tough but to but to have at the end of this to have them knock the helmet off and find out that the suit of armor is empty and it's just the suit that's probably um, pretty close to as close as I can get it uh, without having to redesign it but um, nevertheless that is that's a that's a very very good idea and I'm looking forward to that Henry Lumley again. Hey, Bill, just posted this in case you were under a rock when it came out last week. It looks incredible, and it's um, it's animation for Warhammer the Horus Heresy cinematic trailer. Uh, I'm not going to spend a whole lot of time here on, on Warhammer 40K. I'm not a Warhammer 40K fan. I'm a Warhammer 30K fan. Um, the uh, the Horus Heresy is a, is a plot line that I think is at 65, 66 novels. I read them all. I, honest to God, did I read of every one of them in sequence? Uh, the the 40k universe is um, it's very difficult to to describe. I really honestly think that you either get it or you don't. Um, it is it is it it's it's actually what it is. It's been it's been around as a tabletop game for what 40 years now or something. It's an ongoing human experiment to see what is the darkest outcome we can possibly have? What is the darkest, darkest thing? Um, and uh, and this is it. But the, the actual Horus Heresy story is just, is, is, it's just an epic story, really epic. And, um, and, you know, if you get enough into the background of it, you think, oh, what would have happened if, if only the Horus Heresy hadn't happened? Uh, it did. It did happen. 
uh, the trailer looks really good. Um, and uh, I don't know what the game will be like. I haven't, I have not played any uh, Warhammer games, but I have seen, I think, every Warhammer cutscene ever. I just can't get enough of it. Uh, interestingly enough, um, with Warhammer, uh, Games Workshop, who owns the IP and put out the original game, basically threatened everybody who was doing fan films for Warhammer and, and said you need to take them down because they're starting their own online for pay streaming service. And everybody that I know took a look at that and said this is just awful and and screw you. And and here are these fans who are spending, you know, two years of their lives to put out a two and a half minute movie in order to promote your product. And you're gonna you're gonna pull them down so that you can monetize this? And not just not just monetize, you know, the stuff that they were putting out on their own just looked like garbage. And then they're making Warhammer into kind of like child-friendly kind of thing. You know, you know, stop, stop. There's got to be a way uh, to take canon away from the studios. You know, it, it, it's just this, this. They just these these guys just will ruin anything. They don't care. They don't care. It's 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 art, you know, and um, you know these are the people that would go to Steven Spielberg and say, I think the Schindler's List is going to be amazing. But you know, make it even more amazing. What if Schindler were to have a talking dog? Yeah, a talking dog. The talking dog could be like only he could hear it, and then the dog would be making all this commentary and stuff. But Schindler couldn't say that out loud, so he'd have this kind of conversation with the talking dog. What do you think? We could get Gilbert Gottfried to to voice the talking dog for Schindler's List. You think it's what do, what do you say? These are the kind of people that. that you know, end up in charge of all this stuff. Um, oh, that's impressive. Uh, Kuda says, I play Warhammer 40k tabletop from time to time. Imperial Guard, if you like chess, you would like 40k, but getting started is a big hurdle. Um, yeah, man. Uh, Imperial Guard, you know. The, the Guard is out there bleeding and the, and the um, start to get all the glory. Uh, I think the Imperial Guard are, are cool. I think they're very, very cool. And, uh, and I think, that, again, see, the thing about Warhammer is, uh, like, like, like all the rest of this stuff, it's not one person or even one company. Warhammer is something that is intellectual property that was attractive in, not to, the, not to nearly as many people as Star Trek and Star Wars, but certainly uh, enthusiastic people. And so you, so, so, um, so, uh, you know, Warhammer is the result of, you know, what, I don't know, thousands, certainly, thousands of people have contributed to this, thousands, all of independent art that's gone on, and the model makers, and, and then the, all the writers, and all, all of it is just, all of this brain power has gone into this thing, and, and sketched out all the details just so beautifully, uh, that um, I really love it. Now, last night, before I left, excuse me, <laughs> I was looking and I saw a couple of clips of um, Halo, uh, which which is um, now streaming as a live action show somewhere, um, and you know it looked pretty good actually. Uh, the um, I saw whichever the one Halo was with the. I don't even know enough about it to reference it. It was they, they actually remastered it with a long-necked 
you know, creatures and John Hurt voiced one and the Covenant and all that stuff. I, I was I liked it a lot. But to be perfectly honest with you, I saw this whole um, I saw Master Chief come down and and stand up and say, "Oh, it's Master Chief," and I thought, "Yeah, um, he's kind of like kind of guy who probably just didn't quite make the cut for the Astartes, you know, just a little bit short." Um, and I swear, if I see this one more time, my head's going to explode. If I see one more person fall from a great height, and especially fall from orbit and not die because they land on, on, you know, with one hand on the ground like this, you know. As long as you land in that three-point position, then, then you know, when you do that, you're telling me that, that, that what difference does it make that happens after this, right? You, you've just fallen from orbit, landed uh, in a cool-looking pose, so I guess, um, I guess that kind of thing can't hurt you. So now I'm supposed to worry about you. I'm supposed to have some kind of investment in, in this character when I know that he just basically dropped out of, you know, orbit and... Okay, you know, the superhero landing. I hate the superhero landing. I think it's... And, and I see it everywhere. And it's so ridiculous to me. Once you start off by saying, yeah, this guy's indestructible if we want him to be, then it's like, okay, yeah, well, there goes any excitement. I remember um, when Casino Royale came out, the the first Daniel Craig Casino Royale, although the original Casino Royale was interesting, it was great music. Um, but uh, what what that Casino Royale did, it reset Bond. It, it basically reset him back to zero. I mean. It had gotten more and more ridiculous, more and more um, unbelievable. You can get to things like Moonraker, and there's this giant orbiting space station, and you know, and these you know these fleets of space shuttles fighting, and all the you know we get this orbital laser, you know, and it's like no, you know, I mean James Bond is a guy with a gun in East Berlin, ducking down an alley and trying not to get killed. That's basically what he is, and it's like a singer who who keeps trying to hit higher and higher notes, and they come in and hit the highest note they've got, and they just stay. There's nowhere to go. So, um, so they basically t turned everything back down to zero, and uh, I thought it was really smart and really, really good. Um, and uh, because now he can be hurt, right? I mean, he can—you can see that he can be hurt. You got to be able to, um, if if you don't, if you if you are watching the movie, and while you're watching you know that nothing's going to happen to this guy because he's got the plot armor, then um, who cares, right? Who cares? That's why I saw um, Man of Steel, I think it was. And the final 50 minutes of that is a CG battle. Wasn't it Man of Steel? Virtually positive. Between Superman and, and um, Zog and all the rest of them. 50 minutes of these indestructible creatures smash, smashing back and smashing back and forth between buildings. Zog will punch Superman, he'll go sailing right through three entire buildings. And then Superman will pick up a, you know, a, a, like a train rail car and smash Zog with that. Uh, knocks him to the ground and gets back up again. And then he flies over and bashes him on the head with a water tower and Superman staggers and he goes back. It was, it was... 50 minutes of this. I, I cannot remember being so bored. 
Really, I was as bored as I could be. Yeah, it ends up with Superman killing uh, uh, Zod, and, and I don't think Superman ever killed anybody, just directly killed them. Uh, but I'm not a comic book uh, guy. But in any event, um, uh, you know, it, it's like, okay, so the thing starts with, I'm going to punch you, and you're going to go down the street, and you're going to tear up the sidewalk and the, the pavement, you're going to just rip a trench in the asphalt because I've just punched you. You're going to go 100 yards. Okay. So you just hit me about as hard as you could. Now I'll hit you as hard as you as I can. You'll go flying through four buildings. It won't even phase you. You can just come right back again. And I guess that they thought that this would be entertaining because, oh, look, he got smashed to a building. Oh, he got, look, he got hit with a railway car. It's boring, 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 boring. Tiki Rocket says, uh, Chris Reeve was the best Superman because those movies understood it's not about Superman being in danger, but everyone else being in danger and how Superman reacts and deals with it. Very, very astute, Tiki. That's very well put. I never really quite thought of it that way. Yes, that's that's what that's and that's what the dilemma should be. That's what the dilemma should be. Um, uh, and somebody mentioned Superman Returns, and I thought Superman Returns was much worse, and I didn't like Man of Steel. Um, but um, the the Anyway, how do you screw up Superman? Um, well, behold. But uh, the first Superman with Chris Reeves was good. Second one was okay. Obviously, the other two were just appalling. But that first one, by its own, just standing there, the thing that, that Chris Reeves captured that I haven't seen since then was the fundamental goodness of the guy. Not even goodness, really. Friendliness, maybe, is the term I'm looking for. He, his Superman was smiling a lot, you know? He's just smiling. Why wouldn't you smile? You know, you're doing good deeds. And, um, and I just, and, and parenthetically, in the same way that if you immediately come in and hit the highest note you can hit and stay there, you got nowhere to go. The, um, having Chris Reeves smiling made it much, much, much more powerful when he stopped smiling. Um, so, uh, there you go. Hurry Lonely again. Uh, hey, Bill, what do you think was the reason that the Soviets, what do you think was the reason that the Soviets just going to try to, just going to keep calling Russia that until we see some evidence to the contrary? We're never able to come up with a more effective defense to counter the Stinger missile system. They first faced that weapon system in Afghanistan in 1986, and they've had 36 years to develop more advanced anti-missile defenses for their aircraft. So what do you think is the reason for the lack of development other than the obviously very Russian problems of widespread corruption and awful maintenance? Uh, I think the reason that the, that the Stinger is, is doing to the Russian Air Force what it is doing is because the Russian Air Force has not been willing or able to spend money on precision weapons. And since you cannot, if you, if you are virtually all of their sorties now, and, and most of them, have been using just dumb bombs, iron bombs. And what that means is they're taking their high-quality assets, the Su-34, is it the Su-34? Um, and they're taking their best jets, and they, they have to fly them in very low because other you, you can't hit anything with a dumb bomb from 10,000 feet. You can't hit anything. You, you just can't. So... So the reason that, that they're taking the losses that they're taking is they're gonna, they have to come in so low to have any chance of hitting what they're trying to hit. 
and that puts him inside the stinger envelope and 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 that's just stupid you know if we were to do that i'd said that the stinger you know means it is maybe the end of the air force that was a bit of an overstatement it, it may mean the end of close air support but honestly for us okay if you've got all these man pads down there and they're deadly up to five thousand fleet feet we'll, we'll fly at seven thousand and we'll just launch our mavericks and our hellfires and our and our you know our, our laser guided bombs and our gps guided bombs from you can launch them from from 50,000 feet if you want to, they're still going to go right exactly where they need to. So the Russians never had a, a big investment in smart munitions or standoff munitions. And as much as prior to the uh, Ukraine invasion, as much as I had assumed they had changed, not hoped, just assumed, um, I find that, uh, nope, let's just artillery barrage the city seems to be Russian doctrine still. So uh, they could have invested in precision, but they didn't. Um, it seems to me that it's much more cost-effective to have a precision weapon on an obsolete platform than an obsolete weapon on a precision platform. Because if you have to get down to two, 3,000 feet to deliver that weapon, then it doesn't matter what you're flying, right? It's vulnerable. Um, I'm sure their countermeasures are not quite as good as ours, but everything's dropping flares, you know? Um, so... Uh, why bring your airplanes down that low? And it just goes to uh, it just goes to how how much of victory is doctrinal, you know. And you learn good doctrine from bad doctrine. Uh, and after Vietnam, uh, during that horrible low point, the end of the '70s, early '80s, before Reagan really hit the scene during that decade of, of despair, uh, a bunch of people realized that American people weren't gonna take the kind of casualties that we were taking in Vietnam, it wasn't gonna happen again. So they started thinking about how can we blow the hell out of things without having our guys um, uh, hit. Uh, Cody MacArthur says, that's great, Bill, but the question was about helicopters, not fixed wing aircraft. Um, Aircraft, yeah, no, okay. Uh, it, it doesn't really matter. Um, obviously, helicopters are uh, are not high altitude uh, assets, but all of their ground attack aircraft are vulnerable to this argument. Now, as far as the helicopters go, um, again, look. The, the Apache is by far the best attack helicopter in the world and remains so, and there's nothing else on the horizon. But the Apache doesn't just go charging in there, you know, and damn the torpedoes and just take missile hits. The, the, the Apache, in a hot environment, um, the Apache will, will stay uh, screened by um, terrain. They'll find a hill or real thick bunch of trees and they'll just kind of pop up and some of them have the thing up there. I, I used to think that that was a definition of the longbow, but the longbow is different. But anyway, you've seen a bunch of them with that kind of, you know, circular thing on top of the rotors and they just sit behind a tree and they just kind of pop up and they look around and get their targets marked and so on. And then basically they just, uh, you know, pop back down and then they pop up, four Mavericks go off the rails, back down they go. And, and so that's an effective way to deal with an environment where there's a lot of surface to air um, missiles, even man pads, 
but you don't just go zooming in there like like the Russians did, you know. Uh, that's just not. Look, we, you know, it's easy to 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 laugh at the Russians or or, or blame them for you know heavy-handed tactics, and they are heavy-handed. But I think really, rather than looking at them as incompetent, it really makes a lot more more sense to look at the United States as super competent. You know, really like like unnaturally competent. Uh, no one in the world can do this except for the Israelis. But they can't do it on anything like this scale kind of thing. So, yeah, you've got these threats. Would we have done, would we have, if we had gone into Ukraine, um, would we have um, done it the same way? No. No, we would not. Well, we would have done it like we did um, Kuwait, right? We we'd fight an air war until we had absolute air supremacy and then we'd start suckering these guys into launching their mad pads. And then we'd send in the troops once we had air superiority. Although, again, the situation is changing so quickly. You see these guys with these precision mortar strikes because they're being, you know, they're, 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 um, their forward observers are drones. They're dialing them in with drones. That's new um, and uh, impressive. Um, <laughs> oh boy, Helios, you almost you make me cry. If you think that we were super competent, just wait until you see what the new stunning and brave trans corps are capable of. This really scares me. And I don't mean just worries. It used to just worry me. Now it scares me. And I'll tell you why it scares me, because I occasionally, once every five or six days, I'll dip into Instagram just to see what's going on out there in the, in the pop, pop, popity pop, pop culture. And... And I see army ads and marine ads, and I am shocked at how incompetent they look in those ads. They will show them like, oh, training for this and this, and, and it's like, this these guys don't look like soldiers to me. They don't they don't look like soldiers at all. They look like civilians on their on their first day, you know, in in the in the fatigues with the with the wooden rifles. And I've seen it enough times for it to be a trend. I'm looking at the training of these. That, that this is what the army is putting out. And of course, the army is putting out, you know, there's a place for, uh, you know, if you're if you're a, a transsexual um, female who, who wants to, you know, get on a minigun, then, then we're the army for you. Okay. Um, I just, uh, I'm real worried about it. Fortunately, we've spent so much money and the institutions are so deep that even eight years of Obama and, and, and what Biden is doing are, um, are recoverable because we do have the weapon systems and we have and had anyway, the, 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 the most valuable thing we had, the expertise, we had battle hardened, battle hardened troops, meaning battle hardened, um, young officers who then, you know, if you ever call on them, they're out in the field as lieutenants and they're doing okay as lieutenants. 20 years later, these guys are colonels. They're not going to make, they're going to remember what happened when they were lieutenants. That's, that's why the U.S. military became so revolutionized after Vietnam because the, you know, the captains and the majors in Vietnam became the colonels and the generals in Gulf War. Unfortunately, you know, this, I talked about this and talked to a guy who was a Green Beret commander. Uh, he had a whole unit of Green Berets and he got out. He was one of these golden boys, you know, was being promoted way ahead of the curve and 
was on his way to general in the Pentagon. He just left and said, I just can't take it anymore. You know, they asked me, I don't get to train my guys to keep them alive anymore. Now I have to inspect them for tattoos that somebody might find offensive or uh, do sneak raids on the barracks to see if there's any girly magazines in there in case, you know, some of the, uh, some of the female troops down the hall find that offensive. And, you know, and, and you just keep, this is all during Obama. They just, you just push the war fighters out. You don't have to cashier them. You, you just make it intolerable for them to be there. Whenever I come to this subject, I come back to this uh, chief petty officer I met uh, who'd been in the Navy for 22 years. He said, I'm getting out. I said, why? And he said, it's not fun anymore. I thought, yeah, man. You know, he's, he said, liberty used to be liberty. You, you, your ship docks at 6 o'clock on Friday, and it leaves at month, you know, at 8 o'clock on Monday, and as long as you're on time for it to be on it when it goes, well, you do whatever you want to. He said, now, these, you know, when, it's, when the Navy's in port, the sailors have to check in with mom, have to call in every, I don't know how often, and there's only approved places that they can stay, and I'm sure there's now there's only approved bars they can go to, and all the rest of this stuff. So why would you sit in, in, a, in a steel container and not see the sun for six months, not just on a submarine, you know, if you're, if you're a, 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 a cook or something in, in a destroyer, you're, you're not getting a whole lot of sun time. I've been on a destroyer. And um, so why would you do that if it's not fun? It's certainly not for the spectacular pay. So yeah, so the, the, the left is, is doing what they do. They're just corroding and destroying everything. They're just rusting it out. Now, fortunately for us, that is a pretty robust structure, and it doesn't mean that there's not damage. It just means that the damage that has been done is reparable if we decide to repair it. Moving on, uh, G.K. Masterson. He's a great guy, that G.K. Um, question from last week. So uh, recently I've been looking into buying some land so that I can do some uh, farmsteading, large veggie and herb gardens, some corn and wheat, a pond for fishing, a place for chickens. It sounds idyllic. Uh, our our um, virtue signal today. One of those shows we did on uh, those show was on the um, on you know, vegetarians, you know, and I, I call it the morality of meat. Once I finally get settled in and set up, I'm going to look into setting up a trading co-op with others so that I can trade things like produce or medicinal herbs. Think cough syrup from hyssop and sage. Ooh. Uh, and get things I want, but I'm not going to fool with handling myself, parentheses, beef. I'm planning to check the law and make certain that everything is done beneath the taxable threshold. And that's what happens when, when you start making people who pay taxes into chumps. Um, and we'll have the storage areas rigged to collapse in case some bureaucratic decides I need to be forced to engage in uh, gunpoint charity with my hobbies. The garden's fields may also be rigged to burn in case of the same. I am with you, um, Ms. Masterson. If, you know, if these swine are determined to steal it from you, then no, they don't get it. You're not going to get it. Doing all this got me to wondering, uh, why don't more of us do this stuff like this and build the co-ops only out of members we know we can trust, as in not morons who voted for Dementia Joe, and trade food, goods, and services throughout that in a manner that, can be, that can't be traced or taxed. Sure. Grocery chains and whatnot are convenient up until a pandemic and a moron who thinks that power generation comes from people wishing really, really hard becomes president happens. I'm just going to see if there's... Uh, 
Okay, so this is last week's question. Um, we should all be doing this now, and and I'm telling you, I have a very sick feeling in my stomach that I am going to find myself one day sitting and one day soon sitting there in the car going, I knew all this stuff was coming, I didn't do anything about it. I knew it was coming, but I didn't want to because I was too lazy. Uh, this essentially is the essence of what the common sense resistance was about. That was what, 2015, something like that. This idea that we should form our own networks and 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 just shake hands and uh, get to know each other now. So that when um, when everybody wants to be our friends, uh, you know, we can uh, not not know who to lock out, but we know who to trust. Um, the bigger problem, yeah, Marcia Dark says is that it's the division of labor. It's it's there, this is not something I could do. It's, it's something I can do, uh, and if it turns out that the food gets cut off. Uh, I'd be more than happy to come up to your co-op and when I say work, I mean work a shovel for eight or ten hours or whatever it takes for me to you know, eat that day. Uh, so I don't have any problem with that. Um, but it, it is not, it, it's something you can do if you, if you like to do it, but otherwise it's, it's just not uh, feasible. My problem is that, um, oh, Mobile Moto lives on a farm in Indiana. See, you're going to be fine, man. It's those of us that live here in, you know, Um, so it, it's a grand idea and I think we should be doing it and, and, um, I have a strong wish to, to kind of get not just out of a big city. I'd like to get into much smaller community, but, uh, it's not my decision alone anymore. So, um, um, she says she's in Mississippi. You think that the weather would kill you. You might have been right, but I was raised in Florida, so nothing, nothing could hurt me now. Otherwise, um, so yeah, I just I think it's a grand idea, and I suspect not just a great idea, it might be a life-saving idea. I just, you know, I don't know, I don't know. Um, so yeah, it, it, it's it's a lot of stuff to to factor there, but. I mean, even if I wanted to, I'm renting my house. I can't, I can't plant anything in the backyard, and and so I'd have to, you know, and, it, and, it, and it's desert too around here. So hopefully that helps a little bit. Um, question this week: I'm Not sure if you're up to the whole thing with Blizzard and the sexual harassment case. It's long involved, and I don't feel like dealing with copiamatics. <laughs> so uh, too long didn't read is that Blizzard had a bad bro, bro I guess it's bro. Oh, programmer, sorry. A bad programmer culture where some guys thought they could do whatever they wanted to to whoever they wanted and management protected them. This continued even after Bobby Kotick bought the company. Eventually, California started investigating and found evidence of all kinds of bad things that had been hidden by the leadership. And so the leadership decided to sell the company to Microsoft so they could get out with their money and everyone else could get screwed over because Bobby will just die if he can't have a new mega yacht every year. As a libertarian, I was actually happy with the market tanking their stock and all the bad news came out. So, and I was a little bit angry when they could sidestep that market correction of atrocious behavior by selling the company. So why do we allow people with a lot of money and connections to get away with the behavior that would have most of us, rest of us plebs in jail for sexual assault or for being accomplices to it? Why is it, why is he allowed to walk away with millions of dollars and allowed to hide the identities of the guys he protected, 
who were sexually harassing and taking photos of women's private areas without their knowledge and then sharing those photos at a company Christmas party. Um, I have to tell you, uh, I've been a little shocked lately at my really astonishing revision of my own internal uh, opinion about things like this. And this is just a small example. I, I did my uh, uh, virtue signal on this today. I did mine on um, naivete versus, um, you know, skepticism or cynicism. And I'm moving from extremely naive to more and more skeptical every day. And the question is, if you're moving, are it, if you're changing your mind, are you changing your mind based on evidence? And I'm trying very hard to make sure that I keep it uh, based on evidence. But what I'm finding is more and more and more that a lot of my sympathy for these people was predicated on the fact that the people attacking these billionaires were people who were going after the entire system. And so I would defend the billionaires and the big companies. I defend big business because I felt like I was defending business. Now, things have changed too, not just me and my opinion, but now uh, I become more and more convinced that these people are not, they, they've got nothing to do with business. There's no business in them. They're, um, they're criminals. And, and once, once you find any kind of cooperation between a business and the government, it's not a business anymore. Now, I'm not saying that was the case with, with Blizzard, but I am saying that, um, look, I, and, I, I have, I'm a corporation, right? It's me and this other person on the couch there that's BillWhittle.com, LLC. Um, and corporate protection is important. Corp but, but it's not nearly as important as, in my opinion, morally, it's not as important as co corporate ownership. When people say people, yeah, people, corporations can't be people. They're, they're people in a very strict, strict, limited sense of the word. But obviously, uh, FedEx has a bunch of trucks. And when you look at the um, registration form for those, or the title, it's not the names of every single person that's that owns a piece of stock in FedEx. It's owned by the company. It's owned by FedEx. It has to be owned by somebody legally. So it is owned by FedEx. Um, and so that kind of thing is essential. You can't have you can't have a, a modern economy unless you have that kind of corporate identity that can be thought of as a as a person for most purposes. With that said, uh, we don't get to shed our identities or sell our identities and then get away with crimes and stay in broad daylight. In other words, if I, if I commit some horrible acts and it's proven that I did that, I don't get to suddenly become another guy and then just go back to business and, and all the stuff that happened, happened to the guy I used to be. You know, I don't get to walk into another body and continue on with my mystery. So 
in regards to this specific question, if these guys were aware that this kind of thing was going on, then it shouldn't matter that they've sold the company. They are still personally responsible. You have Marusha Dark says piercing the corporate veil. It's a question of if they knew, then they committed crimes. You don't get to sell your way out of out of crimes. Um, it looks like that. Well, the real uh, Catherine says, I thought FedEx drivers had to own their own trucks. They may, for all I know. I just picked them as an example. But but clearly, uh, the pilots who fly American Airlines don't own their own airplanes, so you, you get the idea. Um, so, so they... Um, This, this in, a, in a strange sort of way, this reminds me of this insane, absurd, ridiculous, pathetic, and sad. A couple days ago, they signed this anti-lynching legislation, and, and Kamala Harris is saying, you know, all these people were killed, and in the last hundred years, we still have not, the federal government has not made lynching a crime. First of all, we tried to, but it was blocked by Democrats. But more importantly, what about first-degree murder, uh, Madam Vice President? Got an opinion on that? Um, first-degree murder? Because this idea that you have to, you know, I, I, I just don't buy this idea of hate crimes. It's like, oh, they, they killed this gay man because he was gay. Well, that's first-degree murder. That's the worst crime there is. Yeah, well, they did it because he was gay. So... So how is that how is that any different than they did it because he was black or they did it because he was white or they did it because he was Chinese or they did it? I mean, the guy's dead. Somebody murdered him. It's first degree murder. That's the biggest crime there is. I'm pretty sure that's the big one. I'm kind of sure that there's nothing above that. Uh, and so if you've got a penalty for first degree murder, then then anything else is just a, attention grabbing. You know, it's just. You know, they, they killed him because he was transsexual. Okay, that may in fact be the motive, but that doesn't, that doesn't make it more murdery, right? You know, you, you're not more dead because of this. The motive is irrelevant. The only, the only thing that motive is relevant for is to proving your guilt. And if they can prove your guilt, you committed first degree murder, then you should go to jail for the rest of your life or, or the chair or whatever the case may be. But but this idea that, oh, and, and, and to listen to her and see Biden standing back there with the mask on outside and stuff in the middle of the Rose Garden, and it's like, you know, okay, we still have not, this is how bad racism in America. We haven't passed a lynching law in over 100 years. I'm pretty sure we haven't had any lynchings in over 100 years or damn near 100 years, right? Pretty near. They may have gone into the 30s for all I know, but this, not, this is not a problem that we have on a regular basis. As far as I'm aware, I don't know that there's ever been a single individual lynch since I've been alive. Um, but we have, to, we have to keep that narrative going, you know, about, well, white people didn't even make a law against lynching. No, that's probably true. We probably tried to, but blocked by people like you. But nevertheless, we just had to settle for first-degree murder, you know? And we're the ones who say that if you lynch somebody, you should probably pay with that, for that with your life. You probably have forfeited your life to, to, uh, to commit a crime that horrible. We're the ones who say that if you commit first-degree murder, you should pay a very heavy penalty. You're the ones who say, yeah, you know, a couple years for murder, and about five, six years, even less if you're child pornographer, that's even, that's even um, 
uh, more understandable uh, according to our um, our likely next Supreme Court justice. So, uh, yeah, Helios, now that's a good point. Now, I, I'd forgotten about that. Helios pointed out that they tried to lynch that brave actor from Chicago, and I did forget about that. Uh, and, and, you know, and John Pershing got there right away, too. The last verified lynching was uh, Jesse Smollett. I saw a meme out there that was Jesse Smollett's picture, and he said, Will Smith hit me, too. Um, uh, so, you, you know, I actually got into, well, I'm not going to mention who I got into an argument with about this, but I maintain that the large number of faked race crimes and false accusations is concrete, solid proof that these things don't occur because in this climate, if these things actually did occur, I guarantee you we would be hearing about every single one of them. And since we don't, and since all we ever hear about is, oh, this, 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 these, uh, somebody painted the N-word on the wall of a college, turns out it was a black student who was, you know, trying to make a point. Or again and 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 again. There, we have we have run injustice so far out of town in this country that now we have to manufacture artificial injustice, and and because uh, natural supplies of injustice have run dry. If you have to manufacture the proof of something that you believe is true and the other side denies, if you have to manufacture the evidence to prove your point because there is no evidence there, then the fact that there's no evidence there means that you are wrong. Bill, last week, Jeremy Boring of Jeremy Boring's fame was on Tim Pool's live stream and mentioned you. Gave you credit for helping him formulate the idea of building a new Hollywood and creating culture. Here's a video. I couldn't get the link to work with a timestamp. Clip starts at 1645. Thank you. Um, uh, that was nice of him. Uh, we had a chance to exchange uh, pleasantries at the beginning of the show. We talked about that. I uh, had a phone call today with um, the guy who's developing his future projects over at Daily Wire and got started uh, with that. And... Um, and uh, I'm looking forward to hearing what he has to say. Uh, but, I mean, the guy just doesn't stop. I mean, I remember, I remember we had the first, the first Stratosphere Lounge shows before we moved into the studio in 2014. You go back to the earlier Stratosphere Lounge shows. They're done in my old edit bay. And right behind the wall behind me is Jerry, Jeremy Boring's office. That's what Declaration Entertainment was. He was on the other side of that wall. And then we went our separate ways, and he got involved with Ben, and they went to uh, Truth Revolt, and then Truth Revolt kind of imploded, so they started Daily Wire, and then they went and got uh, investors and all the rest of it. Um, and, and then they, um, they did... Uh, and every time I'd go visit him, it would be more and more and more amazing. More amazing. Um, and, uh, and to my astonishment, not, I shouldn't say to my astonishment, it's not surprising. It's surprising, but it's not, um, uh, let me just rephrase this whole thing. Jeremy is such a great businessman. Now he's becoming a movie star and, and I did not expect that to happen, but he's very good at it. Very, very, very good at it. That, that Jeremy's razors commercial he's fantastic in and uh that commercial had been on the air for four days when he came out here to visit um came in uh friday night i want to say i talked to him saturday night and sunday uh and he got picked up by the uber guy and the uber guy said you're the guy from jeremy's razors you know that had been three days into this thing um so there's no 
there's no um, I don't have any words for uh, for what he's done there. When I when I when they were still in the old building here in L.A., the first building that we were in together, I went over there and they had taken the whole floor and they had a studio in there that had all of these brand new electronic cameras. They're all you know panning them and digiting you know all this other stuff. This is amazing. Then they ended up outgrowing the whole building. They moved a couple blocks down on Ventura Boulevard, and then they then the building was amazing. And that's where I did uh, the Apollo 11 series, and that's where I did the Cold War series. And that's where I did America's Forgotten Heroes, and two days after I finished recording that, they moved to Nashville. Um, they moved to Nashville because there were naked people, naked women in the door when they'd come into uh, in the morning. They'd come to work in the morning, it'd be some topless, homeless person screaming at them at the top of the lungs and assaulting them. And Jeremy had some homeless people in his pool. Um, and so since this was happening to virtually everybody here, they just said, that's enough of that. Um, whoa. Um, Ms. Masterson says, sent a link that says, uh, Activision Blizzard sued for wrongful death of female employee. Did it come to wrongful death? I don't think you should be sued for wrongful death. I think wrongful death is a criminal charge, right? I'm just going to click on this just real fast. It's, you know, actually, I'm not. I'm not. It's like, oh, my God, I got to get out of here. I thought I had a 8 o'clock card out and, uh, and so on. Let's see how many other here. Oh, God, okay. Um, There are some really good questions here, and um, and I I actually have uh, I, I have to be somewhere. She killed herself over the harassment. Okay. Um. Well. Hmm. Helios uh, wrote that, you know, you should have just left the company. Uh, there's an argument to be made there. But, uh, I mean, if I'm, if I'm in a situation that's as unpleasant that I'm going to commit suicide, I think I'd probably get out of there before I committed suicide. But in any event, I, one thing I have learned is that these things are never as simple as they look, ever, 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 ever. But in any event... If it turned out that the environment was so genuinely, I hate, I'm not going to use that word, the T word, because it's just overused. But if, th if things were so offensive there and, uh, and stuff, then, um, then uh, first thing I would do is get out of there. I'd get out of the building, I'd get in my car, and I'd drive on a lawyer. Uh, um, G.K. Masterson says that the company then wiped all of the devices instead of turning them over to the police. Um, which reminds me, and I, I, I've got to go because I have to be home. Uh, and I don't know what I'll do about these questions. Maybe I'll start with them first next week. But, um, but uh, I, I, it just bears repeating because it's one of the most important things I ever heard. Um, during the email uh, thing, the Hillary email thing, um, Trey Gowdy, as a representative, was saying 
that as a prosecutor, he would rather have proof of cover-up than a confession. Wouldn't a confession be that? He said, no, proof of cover-up is the queen of evidence. He said, if you, if you confess to something, you can then make the argument that you didn't know what you were doing was wrong. But if I can prove that you did something to cover up, then not only can I prove that you did it, I can also prove that you knew it was wrong. And I thought, that's brilliant. Um, okay, so I'm gonna run, and I will, um, I'm gonna, just gonna try and get to these uh, again. Um, and, uh, and, uh, and if I didn't have to be out of here, I would get them all tonight, I think. Trey Gowdy for Attorney General, amen, amen. Uh, he just gives me hope, you know? Just it gives me hope. All right, I'm sorry to have to run, run like this, uh, but I do have to go home. Uh, so um, we'll see you next Thursday. Uh, show's made possible by the members at BillWhittle.com who keep everything going and uh, keep the show coming. And um, some good suggestions about right angle and stuff in there as well. So um, let me, uh, let me uh, bug out and get this thing uploaded. And then um, hopefully we can uh, get through them all uh, next week. So until then, uh, thanks very much for joining us. And uh, we'll see you next time right here on Les Stratosphere Lounge.